All right, um, we are going to be in the Psalms for the next couple weeks before Advent. So if you have a Bible with you, please open it to the first Psalm, Psalm number one. And uh, once everyone is there, if you don't have a, a Bible with you, we do have the text on the screen. Um, let's start by just reading God's word together. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that, blows away, that the wind blows away, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Please pray with me. God, I pray that as we encounter your word this morning, that it would be alive and active through the work of the Holy Spirit, that you would make us people who look more like Jesus. Amen. Uh, one of my favorite, very obscure books is uh, actually out of print book called Last Chance to See by Douglas Adams. Everyone ever read The uh, Hitchhiker's Guide? Well, Last Chance to See is his uh, travel journal. It came out in like 89, and it's his travel journal of visiting endangered species across the globe, and it's hilarious, okay? As only Douglas Adams can do, he makes endangered species really, really funny. Um, and one of the species that he goes to see is the Baiji dolphin, which uh, is a, the Baiji dolphin is a, a freshwater dolphin that uh, lived, it's now extinct actually, but at the time lived in the Yangtze River. That's the only place uh, on earth. It was in, uh, in China in the Yangtze River. And the problem that the Baiji dolphin had is that to begin with, it was basically blind. And... That's okay, because in the Yangtze River, it's a very muddy river. There was not much to see anyway. So what the Baiji dolphin does, or did, is use echolocation. Its echolocation is really, really good. They can find a fish and chase down the fish with echolocation and eat it. In fact, they, they were able to find just like a little ring buried in the mud at the bottom of the river. That's how good it was. Now, the problem was, is that as China was industrializing, the Yangtze River started filling up with motorized boats. And it pumped a ton of noise pollution into the river. And it completely jacked up the echolocation of the dolphin. And so there was so much information, right, that they couldn't tell the difference between food and a propeller that was going to kill them. Right? Douglas Adams likened it to a blind man trying to live in a disco or a seven competing discos, right? It's, it's that disorienting. They didn't know which way was up because their information environment was so completely overloaded. They couldn't tell the difference between food and death. Our information environment has transformed radically in just the last 15 to 20 years. There was a study done on this. The information intake of the average American 
has increased 350% since the advent of the internet. You and I take in an average of 100,000 words a day. 100,000 words. War and Peace is 460,000 words. You and I read nearly a quarter of War and Peace a day between ads, TV, internet, social media, radio, uh, uh, video games, and the rest of it. Right? Our information environment, all these voices trying to persuade us of something, whether it's that the, the Broncos need to fire their head coach like now. Did they win? They won? All right. And it took us nine games to win three, but hey, who's counting? Everybody, actually. <laughs> right? So you might be persuaded of that, or, or you might turn on the radio and, and, and hear someone's trying to persuade you to not trust the other political side, or someone's trying to persuade you online of here's a meme that's going to change your life or whatever, and there's 100,000 words of input saying wildly contradictory things every single day. Do you think that that deluge of information has no impact on you? Do you think you are unshaped by 100,000 words a day of bombardment? And it's not just what we take in every day. Guys, there's, there's voices in our head we're not aware are there that we carry with us, our parents, our family of origin, some book we read a long time ago, some mean comment some mean girl said in the eighth grade. There's a lot of voices and information that we carry around that is shaping us. But the thing is, is that this absolute deluge, this overcrowding of our information environment, it leaves us bewildered, doesn't it? Like, are, are you surprised that you take in that much information? Are you even aware of it? And we're not even aware of it, much less asking, is this good or bad for me? Is this a fish or is this a propeller that's going to, you know, take my brains out of my head? Like, we're not even asking ourselves that question, are we? How do we find our way? How do we distinguish in a day and guard ourselves from what's harmful and avail ourselves of what's beneficial? How do we know how to listen for what's going to feed the soul and for what's going to be poison to our soul? Are we even asking ourselves that question? Or are we just kind of wandering through 100,000 words a day unawares? These are all questions of wisdom. Our culture gives us a lot of information. doesn't give us a whole lot of wisdom. And Psalm 1 is an example, a classic, a textbook example of wisdom literature. Okay? And wisdom in the biblical sense does not mean like insight, like you think profound thoughts. Wisdom is skill in godly living. If we want to know how to find our way, how to distinguish between what's harmful to us and what's beneficial to us, what we need is to be shaped by God's wisdom. I'll, I'll narrow it down for you. This will help with the 100,000 words. In wisdom literature, there's only two paths. I wonder if you guys noticed. Probably not. What's the first word of Psalm 1? Blessed. 
Blessed is a classic wisdom literature word. It means the one who's got it, the one who's happy, the one who's doing it right. You know, like when Jesus says, blessed are the poor, all that, that that's what he's referring to is wisdom lit. Blessed. This is the right way. I wonder if anybody noticed the last word of Psalm 1. What's the last word? Destruction. Your ESV, if you have it, says perish. Those are the two ways. Blessed and perish. So the, 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 the wisdom writer is going to show us what is the blessed way and what is the way that leads to destruction. So what is the blessed way? It is to take God's word to heart. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That is the, the main point. This is the path of blessing. Now, we might trip on some of these terms, all right? Uh, so when we see wicked and sinner, we might make the mistake of anybody who does anything wrong is wicked. Okay, that in wisdom literature, that's not the case. It's talking about a status. It's the one who just doesn't care what God says, right? Just utter disregard for what God says, right? That is the wicked. It's not just someone who, like, oh, I committed a sin, therefore I'm in this category. It's not that. And then a scoffer, or, or in the NIV, mocker, is someone who not only disregards God and everything God has to say, but actively tries to undermine it. Think like Bill Maher. That's a, that's a mocker or a scoffer. He's saying, blessed is the one who does not listen to these folks, but instead does what? His delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, the word for law there is Torah. It can mean several things. It can mean the actual commands of God, right? You, you go to the Old Testament, you know, don't do this, do this, right? That can be the law. It can also refer to just the book of Deuteronomy. But I believe it is referring to the first five books, the Pentateuch, often called the law. For, for, for the writer of this uh, psalm, that was the word of God, right? We have more now um, since God has revealed more. So law here refers to God's word. And so the path of blessing is to take God's word to heart. And the idea there is that this one, they, they delight in the law of God. They don't listen to the counsel of those who would lead them away from it, but instead does what? Loves it, right? Delights in it and, and meditates on his law day and night. Who meditates? The, the, the Hebrew word there is actually onomatopoeia for mumbling, right? Because in the ancient, it was customary in the ancient world that you would as you read, you would read it out loud, mumbling. So blessed is the one who mumbles it day and night. So this is not just someone who's like, here's my verse of the day. This is someone who is giving real concerted time, effort, and zeal to the study and, 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 uh, and observance of God's word. Why is this the path of blessing? Why are we to take God's word to heart? Well, three things. It grounds us, it makes us a blessing, and it ends well. Okay, there's the outline. 
It grounds us, it makes us a blessing, and it ends well. First of all, it grounds us. Look at verse 3 with me. It says, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. So this is a... Um, Hebrew poetry uses images frequently, right? And so the person who, who takes God's word to heart is like a tree, and it contrasts it in verse 4. It says, not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Chaff is um, what comes off of a wheat plant when you thresh it. It's like if you peel garlic, you know, the garlic paper that comes off, it's like that. And so it's contrasting garlic paper with a tree that is planted by a river, something that is grounded to something that is transient, okay? If we want to be able to navigate all this information that comes at us, we need to be grounded. I have watched friends over the years flip from one fad to the other, and we're not talking about their shoes. We're talking about their morals, we're talking about their politics, their religious beliefs, their view of life, right? The, the thing that they think is the thing that's going to explain it all. Well, now I, I, I saw a, a post on narcissism, and everyone I don't like is a narcissist. And, and then I saw another post on trauma, and everything is trauma. And, and, and now everything is Enneagram, right? I know some of you guys are into the Enneagram, but just talk to me in five years and see if it's still producing the kind of results you hope it does. Right? I've seen this, in, I've seen this among, uh, among the church. Right? Oh, I'm emergent now, and I'm reading this dumb book. I'm, I'm super reformed now, or I'm deconstructing now, or I'm whatever Richard Rohr is. You know? It's just one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And, and with every blow of the wind, and none of those things are bad in and of themselves. If that's your lane, great. But if you're just flitting from one to the other, you're not grounded. You're letting the, the, all that information to lose just blow you any which way. It's kind of like, um, like in Wind in the Willows with Mr. Toad. Everyone at least see the Disney movie, if not read the book? Mr. Toad uh, in Wind in the Willows, he's, he's, uh, he starts off, he, he's always like onto a new mania. You know, when it starts off, he's really into horse-drawn carriages, and he's obsessed with that. And this thing came out in 1908, so it was like early motor cars, and a motor car comes past and blows him off the road, and he's like, motor cars, and he becomes obsessed with motor cars, and he goes and steals one and gets thrown in jail for it. And by the end of the book, he's onto airplanes, right? It's just the next thing, he obsesses on it, latches onto it, this is everything, this is everything, this is everything. That, that, that's, that's what we're like. We're so bombarded with all these voices saying, listen to me, and the problem is we do. We don't know what not to listen to. We're not grounded. When we, are, when we take God's word to heart, we say, this is the voice I heed above all others. Right? That, that whatever information is coming at me, I'm going to evaluate it in the light of God's word. It lets us distinguish between what's going to feed the soul and what's going to be poison to the soul. If we were to look, you know, at a pie graph of the information we take in a day, I'm guessing that word of God is not a huge slice of it. 
And if we want to take God's word to heart, we need to figure out ways to dramatically increase the piece of that pie. I'm not saying that you, you go, need to go all rabbinic and do the phylacteries and all that. It'd be cool if somebody did. Go, you know, I'll allow it. Um, I'm Jewish. I can give permission to people to grow the, the thingies. <laughs> but, like all of this media that we take in through podcasts and internet and whatnot, what if we were intentional about converting some of that from whatever junk that we're taking in, or whatever potentially positive thing, to an opportunity to help us meditate on the Word of God? I don't have any recommendations off the top of my head, but I'm sure that you guys do. So the first reason we are to take God's word to heart is because it grounds us. And also, we're going to see it makes us a blessing. Verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now, this leaf does not wither doesn't mean that it's never winter. It means that there's no drought for this tree. Right, that, that's the idea. And it, it's giving an image, like a, a tree in the ancient world, it grew fruit that wasn't a blessing to itself, but to others. And this is a, a common biblical image, is fruit bearing means blessing for others, not for yourself. And it, it's saying that when you take God's word to heart, you become like a fruitful tree. That might be the best thing in the ancient world you could actually encounter. Think about this. You're in ancient Near East, dry, dusty. You're not in Colorado. It's dry, dusty, ancient Near East. And you're hiking for some reason, traveling or whatever. And it's hot. And you're thirsty and hungry. And you come across a fruit-bearing tree by a stream. Right? That, a fig tree, a fig might be the tastiest thing you could lay your hands on. There was no froyo in the ancient world, folks. Right? And, and, and it gives you shade because it has leaves and it bears fruit. It's a blessing to find a tree like that. And, and that's what it's saying is that, is that the, when you meditate, when you take God's word to heart, it transforms you into a blessing. And think about this. I, I'm not talking about the person who whips you with the Bible. That's someone who, who maybe knows Bible verses but is not taking the message to heart. When someone has a heart for justice, when someone has a heart of mercy, when someone has a faithful character, when they're generous and forgiving, right? These are the sorts of things that God's word shapes us into when we take it to heart. You run into a person like that who's mature, they're a blessing, aren't they? I love knowing people like that, people you can go to, people who can comfort the afflicted, People who can impart wisdom into an issue you're going through. Indeed, like a fruitful tree. When we take God's word to heart, it makes us a blessing. As part of the, um, as part of the work I'm doing for uh, my degree currently in a counseling class, we had to uh, take a look at our family of origin. And, you know, like just three generations, like you, parents, grandparents, and kind of all of the dysfunction and maladies that are in there. Mine came up with a pretty good list. We had a schizophrenic person, two or three borderline, a narcissist, 
lots of verbal, physical, and sexual abuse, infidelity, and divorce. And I was like, oh, I come from that. <laughs> and to be 100% honest with you guys, early in my life, I, I, I began down that path. I, I, this is one of the real startling, startling realizations for me the last couple weeks, is I began to just function in my family patterns. I, at the age of 11, I was beginning down a, a path that now I see if I had continued down it, I would have been the cause of great misery to a lot of people. And you might think I'm being dramatic. I'm actually underselling it quite a bit right now. I would not have been, the blessing, uh, been a blessing. My belief is that God actually stopped me. And then when I became a Christian a couple of years later, he, he turned me around. And I'm not trying to say, hey, look at me, I'm such a blessing. Don't you all agree? I'm trying to say, I, I look at my life and, and where I was going and where I started from and, and, and the things that my family of origin set me up for and where I am. And I'm like, oh, I actually have a really good marriage and, and our kids seem okay. <laughs> no, like, like our, 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 there's a lot of love and health in our family and and I'm part with you guys of building a church that, like, that isn't a meat grinder for people. And, right, like, like when I think of what I could have been, when I think about where I, I began to go, and I think about what God has done instead in my life, you know, it's not that I'm sitting there saying, look how great I am. I'm saying, well, I, I didn't become a curse. And with God's grace, I could become a blessing. And, and so many of you guys, you're like, oh, schizophrenic, yeah, yeah, borderline, yeah, yeah, yeah. Abuse, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trauma, uh-huh. Right? And, and you might feel like your family of origin is destiny for you. It can be. It can be if you do nothing about it and you just let that, you just let those voices take over and shape you. But there's another way. It's to take God's word to heart. God uses his word to transform us into a blessing. Third. Third reason we are to take God's word to heart. Because the path ends well. Verses 5 and 6. This is, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Can I get geeky for two seconds? Okay. There's, did I get a yes? Was that, was that assent? Silence is assent. All right. <laughs> okay, so whenever we see Hebrew poetry, it proceeds in parallel lines. You guys might have noticed this, the way the text is even laid out. You see that? It's A, B, A, B, A, B. Now, there's three basic types of parallels in Hebrew poetry. There is... It says the same thing twice to make a point. It says something and then the opposite. And then it, there's one where it's, it says something and then makes it even stronger. Okay? We're, we're together on that. This one, is, it's, it's a parallel. It's, it's just saying the same thing twice. It's saying the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Both of these are pointing forward to the ultimate end. Okay, the judgment in Old Testament theology was not a negative thing. It was those who are with God, right? That, that's the idea, is that the end, 
for the righteous is with God and for the, those who reject and ignore God not. All right? And so the idea here is that it ends well. And, and you see the, the next verse. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Uh, some of your texts say he knows the way of the righteous. That I think the NIV watches over. Is, it's stronger and appropriately so. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. It's like if you are hiking and, you know, there's like a sign. And this way is like, I don't know. Um, stream, I don't know, something good. That's the best I can think of right now. Tree by a stream, because uh, of early, anyway. And the other way is like cliff. Okay, it's just like, it points and you look, oh, there's a cliff. It's like, that, that does lead to the like trailhead or whatever, but it's a cliff. You could get there that way. Some might say it's a really exciting way to get there. But the question isn't, what's it like on the way? The question is, what it, what's it like at the end? Exciting until the end. Right? And this is what it's saying, is that there's always two paths. The one is to take God's word to heart, to listen to it, to heed it, to love it, to meditate on it, to make it the dominant voice in our lives that, that through which we evaluate all other voices. And the other way leads to destruction. I don't know if I'm an oddball, but I often, and maybe it's because I'm a little older than most of you guys, I often think about how not to waste my days. Right? Like, how do I live a life that when I reach the end of it, I'm glad about how it went? Does anyone else think of that? If you want... If you want to know that you're not going to waste your days on earth, that's what this is saying. It's to take God's word to heart. So I'm, I'm listening to talk show radio host who wants to meet me to be really, really angry. Okay? Like, I could go that way. I could just get livid at the other side and all the awful things they want to do to America because they hate it. But when I evaluate that by the word of God, I, I, can't, I can't heed that advice. I can't go to demonization of half of the country. Right? That, that really nicely crafted ad on that NFL game or whatever about Bacardi rum. And, you know, a little Bacardi rum never hurt any. No, that's not true. I guess, I guess a little Bacardi rum has hurt some people. But, you know, in moderation, it's fine. But, you know, it's, it's showing me, like, oh, club music, and everyone's real good-looking there. If I drink that Bacardi rum, maybe I could be that good-looking. Hang out with those good-looking people, right? It's, it's giving you this vision of, of what the good life could be. All I need to do is purchase Bacardi rum, right? Like, on an unconscious level, that really works. You know, it, we, they know what sells to us. They know how to persuade us. But when, when, our, when we are steeped, when we are meditating on the Word of God, we recognize it for what it is, idiocy. Bacardi rum is not going to make my life complete. It is not going to give me the life that I dreamed of. 
You know, the, the latest book comes out about how the nation's being ruined and how to fix it. Right? Are, are we just taking this stuff in? Or are we taking God's word to, word to heart to the point where we are so shaped by the word of God, where we are so familiar with it, where we have so imbibed it and has taken deep root that it acts as a filter for these things. And our, our, our radar immediately goes off. That doesn't sound right. Right? That's the idea here is that we need to take God's word to heart because it grounds us, it makes us a blessing, and it ends well. I've, had a, um, I've been on a kick of these um, <laughs> kind of grim podcasts. Maybe it says something about my information diet. Um, but there's a, a, a series of podcasts called Real Outlaws. It's really good. <laughs> and I listened to one on The Firm. Anyone ever heard of The Firm? It was a, a crime syndicate in East End London in the 1960s, and they were notorious, terrorized the East End uh, for decades. They were, they were um, here's how rough they were. They would just kill people in broad daylight in front of witnesses because no one in the East End had the guts to testify against them. And one of the, the members of the firm, a guy named Chris Lambrino, Actually, eventually, he was a lower-level guy, so he, he, he actually got convicted and sent to prison for life, which in Britain is 15 years. And he said that seven years in, he was utterly despondent. He was looking at what his life had become. He had looked how he had wasted his years and was in a deep hole of depression. And he said one day... Somebody down the hall was playing a record, the same record, over and over, and he felt like he was going to lose his mind because they wouldn't stop playing the record. And in desperation, he's just looking around for anything to distract him, and there was like a stack of books, and among, one, among which there was a Bible. And he had never, he says he had never seen one. I think he meant he never like held one or opened one. Surely he had seen one, but that was his words. And, and he grabbed it out of sheer curiosity, which is exactly how I became a Christian. I grabbed a Bible out of curiosity, and he started reading it. And he read it until 4.30 and still couldn't sleep, 4.30 a.m. And he thought, well, maybe if I put the Bible, he thought there was like something about the Bible. I just put it under my pillow and I'll be able to sleep. And he couldn't. And so he, he said for the rest of the night, he just held it to his chest and rocked like this dude was undone. But he says that wasn't a breakdown. That was a breakthrough. Because he was transformed by God's word. And a lot of people find God in prison but he walks with Jesus to this day, and it's completely transformed his life. He took God's word to heart. We need to take God's word to heart. Pray with me. Lord, I pray that we would take your word to heart, that you would give us awareness of just how many voices we listen to and how many of them are unhealthy and damaging. I pray instead that you would wake us up, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we would be a people so shaped by your word and a community so shaped by your word that we would be grounded and that you would make us a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.